Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Wonderful. Today is, say it with me, people, Friday, Woo uh, November 17th. Month is flying by. That's what I get for going on vacation. Next week is U.S. Thanksgiving, so that's going to take up some time. I'm going to go travel, see my family, which will be great, but I also have a book due. Uh, my own, yes, uh, got to get Twisted Magic finished and uploaded. So as I mentioned, I did finish revising it in Kauai. I have been crunching this week to... Finished the ending because I had stopped at about, let's see, where did I stop? Um, before I began revising, I had gotten up to, it wasn't awful, 77,000 words before I got stuck and realized I needed to go back and revise from the beginning. From the beginning, that is, I had to sneeze. Uh, so now, I mean, I really have been making progress. It's been a pretty good week so far, and I am at 88,775 words, which leaves me something in the neighborhood of less than 9,000 words to go. So it does mean I will be working through the weekend, but um, I think it's doable. It's very funny for me when I get to this point in the story, especially with the third book in a trilogy, the sixth book in the overall series arc, uh, where I am resolving things, right? Um, people are telling each other things and people are coming out of the woodwork and doing things. And I have this slight hesitation where I think, oh, should I be doing this yet though? And it's like, well, yeah, Jeffy, it's, it's actually the end. This is the time to do this. I don't think a whole lot as I write. Um, one of my favorite quotes, as many of you longtime listeners know from Bull Durham, don't think meat. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's Kevin Costner's line. Uh, I don't remember the character's name in Bull Durham, but he is a baseball player. And when he comes up to bat, he tells himself, don't think me. And it, it really is a great line because it's about how much of our conscious thinking can get in the way of, of us doing something that is well understood by ourselves. That's intuitive. So a lot of writing is intuitive, certainly for me being the intuitive writer, but even um, like one of the gals in my discord was talking about how she's really laboring with this book that she's kind of revising, rewriting. She's a newer author. She's been working on this book for a long time. She's been getting a lot of feedback on it, taking classes and so forth. And so as she's working, she is thinking, she's thinking, 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 you know, oh, well, each scene needs to do this. And, you know, we need to, this needs to move this forward and this needs to do that. And yeah, that gets in the way of creativity. And she, 
she was asking, you know, what, what do I do? How do I stop? How do I, cause other people had chimed in cause I've been gone. Right. Uh, so it's a great discord that way because there's wonderful creative people, helpful people in there uh, for if I am not around supportive community and all of that. So she, um, other people had said, well, it sounds like maybe the critical brain's getting in the way. And she said, yeah, but how do you turn that off? And it's like, oh, therein, therein lies the question, right? Uh, it's, it, it, it ain't easy. <laughs> I think what it comes down to for me is I have to really divide out the drafting brain from the editing brain. And the more that I can free myself of thinking, the better the workflows. Uh, but you know how you do that. Um, for me, it's separating out the processes, making it very clear to myself, which thing I'm doing. And I don't allow, I mean, that's the best way I can put it is I do my best not to allow myself to edit when I'm drafting. Thus the, the great line. Don't think meet. I look forward to fixing that in the transcript. It will no doubt be wrong. The wrong meat entirely. Uh, so, so yeah, um, finishing drafting this weekend, then I will have go, have to go back and revise those 60 or so pages that I've added though for hopefully that will go fast. And then I hope I have time for an outline out loud proof. Uh, drop dead date to upload is Friday. So I think I can do it. I have time. It's not as much time as I thought I would have. So I'm really glad I put this release date to the very end of the month. I can't tell if it was always going to take this long or if I just expanded to fill the time I have like gas. <laughs> An important thing I want to remind myself and I want to remind all of you out there. And I know many of you are, well, I was going to say are doing NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month, but now there's a scandal, right? For those of you not in the know, um, they have a, a program in NaNoWriMo that's for like young writers for teens and so forth. And apparently one of the moderators has been accused of grooming behavior of luring those writers off to another server and has been in trouble for inappropriate behavior with minors. So many people are leaving the NaNoWriMo bus. It's really unfortunate. It's puzzling why it seemed like this had been called to the attention of other moderators and people running the program and they uh, didn't do anything about it, um, which is, you know, that's a big problem. Uh, they do have my sympathies because that's a terrible thing to, to be dealing with, but it's worse for that. They may have stood back and done nothing uh, while this was going on. So anyway, we won't talk about NaNoWriMo, I guess, huh? Uh, but anyway, when you're getting started for the day, uh, I think that there's a tendency for me, I notice, like as I'm getting started and it 
it's not easy. Like some days getting started is harder than other days. And there's a temptation to think today will not be a good day because, because the first hour is slow or the first half hour is slow. And you all know, I keep charts and graphs of everything, but my first hour is across all books on the average, the lowest word count hour. I always get better as I go on. And I know uh, Dorinda has talked about this too, that she has um, in some ways she, she likes going for two hours without stopping because she finds that the longer she goes, the faster she goes and the more words she gets. So there's definitely an aspect of flow there. So I just wanted to remind everyone that if you're starting out for the day, if you're starting out full stop and it's slow, it's not going fast. Um, give yourself time, give yourself a little time to, to work that through. And I think that you will find that, uh, the longer you go, the easier it gets. I also wanted to talk about Anne McCaffrey, a random topic switch, but I've been rereading Anne McCaffrey. Uh, I recently got her, um, the original dragon wares trilogy, dragon flight, dragon quest, the white dragon on, um, it was like a book bub deal, $1.99 for the trilogy. And of course I have my paperbacks. I have my, shall I show you? Okay. So for those of you on video, here is my battered copy of Dragonflight. Uh, the covers are coming off. <laughs> it's a mass market paperback. Uh, and I believe I bought this myself. I mean, even look, the inside pages are all folded and crumbly and I have taken care of this, but I also have read it. Um, copyright 1968, uh, 10th us printing may 1971. I, I know I bought this new, um, but it had to have been, I think I was probably 11 or 12, but, and I love this about it is my name is written on the front cover in my mother's handwriting. Uh, and it's just Jennifer Mize. Uh, my name is actually Jennifer Mize Kennedy. Uh, this was before my stepdad adopted me. And my mother wrote my name in there because clearly I was like taking it somewhere. It's just funny to see her handwriting in there. So anyway, um, I rebought the books on Kindle because it's so much easier for me to read on Kindle as opposed to on paper. And I wanted to reread these books, blah, 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 blah. Um, I am also, so I've so far I've read Dragonflight. I got halfway through Dragon Quest for those of you who know the books. Then I switched off and went and bought Dragon Song and Dragon Singer because those occur timeline wise about in the middle of Dragon Quest. And I wanted to read the story in more or less chronological order. Uh, and I know that the books are now off putting to today's readers. And I see, um, I see readers complain about it because the, the Gen Xers like me who grew up reading these books, love them and we rave about them. And I talk about them as being an influence on me. And it's, it's one of those things where you start feeling very old trying to explain it to people. But at the time there, there wasn't fantasy and science fiction 
that had pre predominant active female characters that had female characters who were doing exciting things like flying dragons and fighting in battles and that sort of thing. And so, yes, it leaves a lot to be desired today. Uh, and I understand why today's readers bounce off of it. There is also some non-compliance in there uh, that, you know, like in the sex scenes, the, there's a sense of the women being forced and, and sometimes some physical violence, you know, like slapping people to stop them from being hysterical, which was again, very much of the time doesn't make it right. But it's interesting to read these books um, from my lens of today. And I was thinking about the whole non-compliance um, or dubious consent, not non-compliance, but dubious consent, non-consent in the sex scenes. And, you know, in that time, there was a very strong feeling that um, that women had been so oppressed, so programmed, so um, it had been drummed into them that they must not have sex, that they, you know, should clench that quarter between their knees as a form of birth control. And yes, for you younger people, that was a real thing. Clench a quarter or a penny between your knees and you wouldn't get pregnant, right? Because if you didn't spread your legs, right? All of this was always put entirely on the females, right? Entirely the female's responsibility to control sex. Whereas it was, you know, boys will be boys and the guys would attempt to, you know, finagle or force their way in. So, so there was this very strong feeling that good girls, if you were good, if you were obedient and following the rules, that you did not do these nasty things with boys. And so in the stories, there's this sense of that the, that the hero forces the woman to go past these false rules um, and that she then abandons, she is able to abandon herself sexually because she's no longer responsible for clenching that quarter between her knees. And I realize it doesn't really make sense, but it's more of an emotional storytelling thing. And I think it's really important to remember that Emma Caffrey was an Irish writer and she, you know, grew up in this very oppressive Catholic culture. And in some ways, the books are fascinating for this reason, because you can detect this um, immense patriarchy, these, this ossified patriarchy in her world building that clearly comes from her growing up in this kind of society uh, where you know, men are constantly telling her, you know, well, girls can't be harpers. Um, you know, women can't do this or that. Uh, there, there's a whole lot of what women cannot do in these books. And Emma Caffrey was very faithfully reflecting that era as she was reflecting her own life. Uh, I saw something recently, and I'm probably not going to get the uh, specifics correct, but I was reading about the first one of the first women to run a marathon where she 
entered under initials and they assumed that she was a man. And when it was discovered that she was a woman, one of the race officials went and physically dragged her off the street or off the track. You know, so we, when we talk about things, you know, we talk about microaggressions and we talk about inherent sexism. We talk about internalized misogyny, but I think it's important to remember that back in this time in the sixties and seventies, you know, when we, we kind of joke about women burning their bras and that sort of thing, but there was a huge outright vocal force telling women and girls, you may not do this thing. You cannot be this thing because you are female. And so it comes through in these books. And I think it's, it's interesting to, to view them through that lens and to realize that she is reflecting the kind of society she grew up in. And she's talking about a society that's changing, which was also faithful, right? They were changing um, and coming out of this hidebound, wearbound, um, ossified traditional thinking. And she rails against tradition all the time in these books. So that's my little mini rant on Anne McCaffrey. I'm not saying that you younger folks have to love them, um, but I just wanted to explain a little bit. And I do think it's it's interesting to read them uh, for those reasons. And Anne McCaffrey was the second female, no, third, third uh, female grandmaster that Sifwa ever had, Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association. Uh, at that point, there had been, at that point, there had been 22 grandmasters named by Sifwa presidents. That's a perk of being president if you get to name the grandmaster. It's basically a Lifetime Achievement Award. And Anne McCaffrey was the third woman to be awarded grandmaster uh, in 2004, people, uh, the very first one was Andre Norton uh, in 1982. And the second was Ursula Le Guin in 2002. And after Anne McCaffrey, there wasn't another female grandmaster named until 2012. We are working on um, correcting this situation. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a thing. And I'm going to wind up today to talk a little bit about the season finale of the morning show. So if you don't care, and if you don't want spoilers, time's, now's the time to tap out. Uh, but I finally watched the last episode just this week because I was on vacation last week. Uh, one of the gals who was at the conference with me, it turned out she loved the morning show also. And she had like spent Wednesday evening in her hotel room to watch that season finale. Uh, the penultimate episode was completely gripping. And she had told me she was disappointed in the last episode. Uh, so much so that I very nearly didn't watch it because I thought, oh, I don't want to be disappointed. But then we were looking for something to watch and we both loved the show. And I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. And I liked the ending. And Full spoilering, you know, you all know that I was totally shipping Alex and Paul Marks. I wanted that relationship to work out. It did not um, because it turned out that he had 
he had lied to her. And there's this great scene at the end where, where, and Jennifer Aniston, I'm sorry, she is so fucking good. Uh, but she is crying and say, and they're saying goodbye. And she says, um, she said, you know, I wanted a partner. Oh, I wanted a partner. And, and that's what I loved about this relationship. If you didn't hear me talk about this before, that this was a man who could handle Alex and her amazing success and her powerful personality and her strength of will and her wealth and all of this, that he could match her and he could handle it. And he liked that about her. It was awesome. And so she says, I wanted a partner. And he says, you had one. And she says, not one I could trust. And that's what it comes down to, right? Not that I could trust. And it didn't matter that, you know, he was perfect and she liked him so much. And I think the sex was great. Uh, but, you know, if you can't trust the person, if they're always going to be manipulating you, it's just um, deal breaker, right? On that note, go out and have a fabulous weekend. Uh, be someone that people can trust for me, for Alex. And I will talk to you all on Monday. You all take care. Bye-bye.